0: From the Humphrey School of Public Affairs, this is Coming of Age. Today, we talk to Faris Kassim.
1: Well, I was trying to stay calm. That was a number of things I kept telling
0: myself that if I panic, these guys will probably think they're right. I'm Simon Cecil. Stay tuned. I was probably about 44, eight or nine, I would say. When I turned 18 years old.
1: 18. I was 25. I was 19 years old.
0: Yeah, and I went, I am an adult. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I'm Simon Cecil, and this is Coming of Age, the podcast from the Humphrey School of Public Affairs, where each week we hear the story of someone at the school and the moment when they begin to feel like an adult. Today, we talk with Faris Kassim. Faris is in his second year at the Humphrey, and he's pursuing a master's in development practice. Most of the MDPs, as they're known here, have really impressive resumes of traveling and working across the globe, and Faris is no exception. Vars' story about beginning to feel like a grown-up took place when he was working as a journalist in Karachi, Pakistan. But the story begins when he was a new high school graduate with dreams of becoming a doctor. Can you walk me through the path from being a young Pakistani-American living in New Jersey to being a street journalist in Pakistan and what the sort of train of events and your thinking was that got you there?
1: Well, the thing is, I wanted to go to med school. That was one thing I, I really wanted to do as a teenager. It was my parents' dream as well that I become a doctor. And I was passionate about it myself. Uh, I had very good grades. So obviously, going to med school in the US is a, is a big hassle. You have to go through undergrad, and then you apply, and then you get in, and then you obviously have to take student loans. My family could never pay for it. Um, so the easy way out for people like us is you can always go back home. We have very good med schools in Pakistan and India and those countries. You don't need to do an undergrad degree. You just take your MCATs after 12th grade, and you can get into a med school. It is obviously far, far cheaper. Even the best schools are far cheaper than what you would pay in the U.S., and and that was my direction, that after finishing high school, I'll spend a year or so in, in the U.S., do a few uh, undergrad classes, and then apply for the med MCATs in Pakistan and start med school over there. But once I got there, I sat for a few examinations and then I was like, I don't want to do this. This is not my cup of tea. And I knew some friends and some family members who were involved in freelance journalism work. So I just touched base with them. And they said, hey, if you have this skill and if you want to do this, and try it out. So I st- first I tried just getting something published and it was easily published. And then I spoke to a few editors. And then they said, oh, you want to do a field assignment? I said, why not? I'll try this. And they were very simple field assignments, you know, go cover an event, go talk to a, go get some quotes from a senior politician or some celebrity, you know, very basic things. And once I started doing those regularly, then they started giving me bigger assignments. And then the more context you make, the more avenues you have to do more freelance work. So it just kept on building on that for a year or so until I was able to get very good assignments with foreign journalists.
0: I, I gotta ask, what, did, what in the world did your mother say? <laughs>
1: So, so I come from a family of middle-class, hard-working people who just stick to uh, a very solid career path. So dad's an engineer, mom's a teacher, every other family member in my dad's side, my mom's side, all hard-working professionals. So none of them journalists, none of them politicians, none of them the army. Uh, my parents knew that I was going to Pakistan to pursue my medical career, the MCAT thing. And they knew I love writing and creative work and journalism and politics. And they knew I was involved to some level. So they knew I would get involved in Pakistan as well. But uh, they couldn't imagine, I honestly did not imagine that I would just quit med school and not pursue that career and start working on this. This is a decision that I made once I landed in Pakistan and I, and I felt the calling. So this was very unusual for them. So the surprise was that what, why do you wanna do journalism? What, what's in this? And then they thought, since they have no idea about this industry, they're like, oh, he's probably gonna work for a newspaper. They didn't know I was doing freelance dangerous work on ground.
0: To understand the next part of the story, it's important to pause and consider the context in which Faris was working. He was in Karachi shortly after the September 11th attacks in the U.S. and the Bush administration's subsequent war on terror. The U.S. had just begun its war in Afghanistan and was gearing up for war in Iraq. Faris felt that the media in the U.S. had really declared war on Islam. And while he wasn't a particularly religious person himself, he couldn't help but feel the effect. It's worth remembering that these were the days when memos justifying torture were being written, when the idea of detaining people indefinitely without charging them was born, when the prison at Guantanamo Bay was coming online. And so it was in this atmosphere that Forrest found himself in Karachi, with the skills of a newly minted professional reporter and a language ability to help professional journalists make connections inside Pakistan. Faris really wanted to help the world, and particularly folks in the United States, have a better understanding of both the situation and how people outside the U.S. understood what was going on. And it was in the process of doing this work, helping connect two foreign journalists with an armed dissident group, that Faris ran into a situation that became the moment he considers the start of his adulthood.
1: We were interviewing them for uh, one of the big Television networks, I can't name them. I went through some contacts, I went through some leads, and they said uh, that, sure, you can have the interview. And there were some foreign journalists with me. One was a photographer, one was a a stringer. Stringer is basically someone who writes stories for a newspaper abroad. Uh, The interview was going well, but then they got a phone call, and they said, okay, now you cannot leave. Uh, And when I asked him that why we cannot leave, because I was the interpreter, and I was also the fixer, what is known in the journalism world. And they said, well, we've heard you are lying to us. You do not represent the organizations that you say you are representing. And we need to now confirm uh, who you guys are. Otherwise, you cannot leave. So I said, okay, uh, who told you this information? Where are you getting this? And they said, well, we cannot tell you this. I said, all right, but uh, uh, I have these fellows with me. And it will be a a huge crisis if these guys don't go, go back to the hotel where they're from because they're not here alone. I was stretching the truth, but that was the only way to get out of there.
0: So when you were there in the moment, it became clear that this group was not going to let you and the journalists leave. What were you, what were you thinking and feeling at that point?
1: Well, I was trying to stay calm. That was the number of things I kept telling myself, that if I panic, these guys will probably think they're right. They will see my face and they'll see my thoughts and they'll think, oh, these people are trying to fool us because they're also gauging this. Sometimes it might just be testing you. So I was telling myself constantly that, okay, stay calm. And my way of staying calm was to keep talking. If I was to shut up and actually have a moment to think for myself, I'd probably start panicking because that's very natural, right? I I wasn't scared as such. I wasn't... uh, you know, anxious or frightened or any of those things because I wasn't giving myself the room to become emotional. I was blocking every feeling besides just telling myself that don't panic and let's get this resolved, let's get this resolved. So it's one of those fatalistic moments when you just shut everything down and you're like, I need to survive, I need to get out of here.
0: And after hours of back and forth, Forrest was able to get himself and his companions released.
1: We were there for around four or five hours, and uh, these guys were obviously... Uh, An armed group and very intimidating, but I kept my calm and uh, Because I could talk to them at least they were talking to me I would have been really freaked out uh, If they were not talking to me or if they were pushing us around or threatening us directly They weren't really threatening us. It was very subtle, but I knew what was going on Thank God the the situation got resolved after those four or five hours When they made some calls and I actually convinced them to call some people that I knew intermediaries who deal with these sort of groups and journalists uh, some senior-ranking people in the government and in the and in the security agencies. So they made those phone calls. A lot of phone calls going back and forth. Eventually, they realized that okay, there was some miscommunication. Uh, they were told about some other journalist group that was coming a few days later. It was not actually us.
0: Faris and the journalists were released with an apology. A, hey, these things happen, and an offer for tea. And once Faris had left the journalists at their hotel he had time to reflect on just how serious the situation was and just how badly it could have ended. I
1: remember coming back from that interview and, and just filing my report and everything, and I realized that, you know, this was pretty serious. And uh, if let's suppose they uh, there was something that they found out which was sketchy about those, because I didn't know the foreign journalist. They come through certain credible sources. They represent, you know, some really big names. Uh, but what if one of them was somehow involved with some... You know, let's suppose the CIA, let's suppose MI6 or someone. Maybe he had done a story about them. Now, the kind of people who we were talking to, they would take that as you being an agent, that you are a, a hidden uh, character in the agencies who are trying to infiltrate their group or something, because they can misread these things, right? Even and a lot of journalists went through this same kind of miscommunication and misrepresentation and they end up getting killed, one namely being Daniel Pearl uh, in Karachi. But yeah, so I realized afterwards that, hey, if, if that had happened, we, we, could have been, we would have been in the same situation as Daniel Pearl. Uh, and I would have been the first one to go because I was the local.
0: Daniel Pearl was an Israeli-American journalist and a writer for the Wall Street Journal who was kidnapped and murdered in Karachi shortly before the events that Farris is describing. Reflecting on that context in Karachi and on the risks he was taking made Farris pause and reconsider the path he was on.
1: So that made me realize that I need to be responsible, that I need to be more, more careful about what I'm pursuing in life. Uh, I, I know I was good at it. I know I can make a career out of this. But is this really what I want in terms of my long-term future?
0: I mean, you've talked about kind of your life after that moment and how this was this point which it became clear, like the work you were doing was serious and had serious implications. And I'm curious, what was different for you afterwards?
1: Well, afterwards... Um, If you talk a few months down the line, there were several incidents of uh, journalists and local journalists like myself either getting arrested, hurt, or killed, So those and people that I knew as well. So I would say that down the line, a year after that, I was seriously thinking of this as a career choice, that do I really want to do this? And maybe I should finish my undergrad as well and uh, think of a career that can uh, fulfill my passion to some extent but also set me on a path that is fulfilling for me and that has some job security. So I opted for the nonprofit world.
0: Faris says that the time he spent as a journalist pursuing his passions eventually persuaded him of the importance of completing an undergraduate degree. And now when people ask him, he advises them that it's important to balance your passions with getting a solid education, which is, of course, what brought him here to the Humphrey School. That's our show for today. You can find Forrest in the MDP program here at the school, and we'll be back next week with another story about coming of age.